Hello and welcome to the Child Move Podcast, an offspring of the Child Move Project. The Child Move Project is a project that is funded by the European Research Council and focuses on the psychosocial impact of transit experiences on the well-being of unaccompanied refugee minors. My name is Sarah Adeinka. I'm one of the researchers on the Child Move Project. I'm also your host. So welcome. Today we're doing things a little differently, and that is because I do not have any guests in the studio. I am the guest. So I will be interviewing myself. Well, not really. I will be discussing with you some more information about my study. Well, I'll be discussing my research with you, telling you um, some of the findings of our study of the um, Italy aspect, <clears throat> excuse me, of the study that's looking at Nigerian victims of human trafficking. So as I explained in one of our previous podcasts, my part of the research is focused on Italy. My colleague Ossian Uzugo and I have focused on the Italy sample. However, our samples are different. I focus on Nigerian girls and women who were trafficked into Italy for sexual exploitation. During the course of my study, I interviewed 31 unaccompanied refugee minors and adults. So there were 21 adults and 10 unaccompanied minors. Now, it's also important to talk about the the age, you know, the transition from, from teenage teenagehood or from being a teenager to adult because many of them, many of those who are now adults came into Europe, were trafficked into Italy as teenagers. They came in at the ages of 16, 17. And so now they're adults, but actually when the trafficking began, they were teenagers, they were unaccompanied minors. And so there are 10 who were unaccompanied minors when we uh, conducted the first interview of three, um, <clears throat> but the rest were adults uh, between the ages of 18 and 35, but the average age was in the mid-20s. So the reason, um, one of the reasons why we focused on Nigerian women and teenagers is because Nigerians still constitute um, one of the highest, some of the highest number of people being trafficked into the European Union from outside the European Union. And um, Nigerian victims of trafficking have been identified in over 40 countries in the world. And so and we also know, uh, based on extensive literature and research, that the Nigerian human trafficking rings are one of the most... Um, um, there's a word I'm trying to find here, and it's it's escaping me. But they're, they're, I mean, trafficking networks are horrible in general, but the Nigerian networks are also one of the greedier ones, where women are being told that they have to pay 30, 40, 50,000 euros as the cost of the journey from Nigeria into Europe. Now, everyone that we interviewed, all 31 participants, came into Europe irregularly. So they were taken from Nigeria into neighboring country, uh, the Republic of Niger, and then through the Sahara Desert into Libya, and then they crossed the Central Mediterranean where they were rescued by NGO vessels and then arrived in Italy. And one of the findings in our study was the amount of violence encountered along the way. From the point of departure, it's interesting to mention that a lot of the women and, and girls did not refer to juju rituals as violence. 
for those of you who may not know what juju rituals are, juju rituals um, are often referred to as voodoo or witchcraft, but they are rituals that are conducted, carried out by a juju doctor, a native doctor, as we call them, um, the juju ritualist. They carry out a, a very sacred ritual at the shrine prior to the, to the beginning of the journey. The ritualists are usually in cahoots with the traffickers. And basically what they do is they, they have a ceremony, they hold a ceremony during which they take pubic hair, armpit hair, blood sometimes, um, panties, uh, personal belongings of the person who's traveling, woman, teenager. And then they are forced to make a vow, forced or told to make a vow depending on, on the context, um, to vow that they will re, re, repay the person taking them abroad, that they will repay the, the cost of the journey. However, um, the truth is that <clears throat> the cost of the journey is never really fully understood by those who are undertaking the journey. Like one of my participants said, yeah, they told me I would pay 25000 And she had never left the country, had never even left her city or state. So 25000 to her was, oh, it's money I can work work for and pay in a month or two, not understanding that one euro at the time uh, when she was trafficked was about 420 naira. And so 25,000 of that is not what she thought it would be. And so back to the rituals, they undergo these rituals in the shrine. And they are forced to make a vow that they will never disclose the identity of the person taking them abroad and that they will repay the, the full cost of the journey. They are also told that only when you have finished paying what you owe will we give you back the personal items we've taken from you. So your underwear, your hair, this will all be in the shrine. And if you default, if you break the vow, if you break the oath, then you will go mad. It will never be well with you. Your family members will go mad. There's a list of things that they vow will happen to them. And so the oath is the control mechanism. The, the person will do everything in their power to pay to repay that debt because they are afraid of what will happen to them if they don't. And so this was something in our study that we found that most of the participants under underwent the ritual. They undertook the ritual. They, they, they vowed, they made an oath, and they had a lot of money that they were supposed to pay back. Um, but they still, when they were talking about violence experienced along the way, they did not refer to the rituals as violence. What they referred to a lot was sexual violence, physical brutality. And this started from the moment they, they left the Nigerian shores. So as soon as they got into Niger, they talked to us about, uh, they told us about nomads in the desert who stripped them of their money and any belongings that they may have had, mobile phones uh, and so on. That was also when the sexual violence for most of them began. They said that they were raped, sexually violated, assaulted, molested um, by these nomads in the desert. And at one point, they also talked about um, running into military people in the desert who did the same, who sexually violated them. Now, we don't know if these military personnel were from the Republic of Niger or Libya. And then the violence actually continues after arrival in Libya, um, they are violated, molested by traffickers, smugglers, um, sometimes other migrants, um, guards at detention centers, 
and so on. The local militia that they refer to as Asma boys in Libya. But what we found even more disturbing, I mean, this was already quite um, disturbing. It's quite intense to, to, to read this excerpt from the interviews, but also listening to these girls and women. But what was really surprising to me was the amount of violence that still continued after arrival in Italy in an EU country, which is supposed to be a safe space or a safe location for them, right? Um, the violence continued in the hands of traffickers. The violence continued at the hands of locals. The violence continued um, at the hands of, in, in a few cases, the, the staff at the NGO shelter. We have instances of attempted rape of some of our participants. And so just recognizing that the violence does not end after arrival in a country that is deemed a safe destination, right? A safe space, but the violence continues and it is the perpetrators that change. So the violence just continues and then the actors change or evolve or become somebody else. And so recognizing this was, um, really interesting for us to take a step back and to say, okay, wow, so this still continues. How can we draw more attention to this? What are the things that we can do as researchers to amplify the voices of these women and teenagers to draw some attention and focus to this aspect as well, that the violence isn't just happening out there or in the developing countries. No, it's happening here too. And it's happening in places that are supposed to be safe, like a shelter where one of the participants was almost um, raped by somebody working in the shelter. And so recognizing that these things are still happening was, um, yeah, it was eye-opening eye for me, at least uh, recognizing that in the data. Not surprising, but just eye-opening because I wasn't expecting it in the data. Another thing that we found was family involvement. I won't go into the de details of that today because that's... Um, another conversation, but the extent of family involvement in human trafficking was really astounding. Family involvement now, when I say family involvement, it's knowingly and unknowingly. So family members who knew and family members who didn't, but still were involved in one way or the other. And yeah, that was, yeah, we just wrote an article on that and we're hoping it gets published. And then we will post the link in the, in the podcast notes, in the episode notes. But um, yeah, so really just talking about violence and, and the violence and the physical brutality that these women and girls experience along the way, it's really important to factor that in as policymakers, lawmakers, NGO staff, practitioners who are on the receiving end, who are the ones who are here at the receiving end to welcome these people and to provide care and support and assistance for them, to them, it's important to understand the amount of trauma that they are already arriving with, that they are being trafficked, but the violence does not just begin at the point of, of um, being handed over to the trafficker. What we found was that for most of the participants, majority of our participants had experienced sexual violence before arriving in Italy. And so, we really want to focus um, a lot more on being able to influence policy, being able to say these are the things that are happening, this, these are the challenges that these women are facing and these teenagers are facing. What are some policies that we can have in place to mitigate them? What are some 
trainings, for example, that could be in place for caregivers, for people in shelters, what policies are in place right now for the people that are being hired at shelters? Are they just volunteers with no training? Are they people who have undergone training and what are the consequences of them breaching the terms of the contract that they signed, for example? And so, yes, this is just one of um, the, the main findings of my aspect of the study, which is looking at Nigerian girls and um, teenagers, Nigerian girls, well, teenagers and women who were trafficked into Italy for sexual exploitation. And so because it's just me talking about my study, this is going to be a, a short podcast. I'm going to end the podcast right here and we will do another podcast or I will do another podcast where I talk about another article of mine. Uh, one of our other findings, but we thought it was important to share this finding about the sexual violence, the continuous sexual violence. And just the reminder um, for some, like if you already knew this, then it's a reminder. But if you didn't, it's really to enlighten people and to say, when we talk about trafficking of, of Nigerians, uh, women in general, or people from one location into another, it's important to actually think through and recognize that sometimes the violence and the exploitation already begins before they get to where they're being taken to. And those are really important things to factor in when we talk about well-being, when we talk about aftercare, um, when we talk about taking care of victims and survivors. And so on that note, I will leave you with this somewhat morbid <laughs> conversation, but it's really a conversation that we need to have and we need to keep exploring. So thank you so much for listening to my interview with myself, to my uh, podcast. And over the coming weeks, we will be interviewing other researchers on the Child Move podcast, Ocean, Marina, Malta, Giacomo, you know, talking about the different findings, the different um, groups, and we will share that with you soon. <clears throat> So thank you once again. Remember to check out our website, www.thechildmove.eu or www.thechildmove.com. Also, our researcher, Malta Behrendt, published an article. Yay, Malta! And I will post the link to the article in the episode, in the podcast episode notes as well, just so you can go and, and check it out. It's a really well-written one, actually. I'm really proud of him. And um, it's also on our website, so you can also find it there. Well, until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.